Well, good morning, everyone. What a weird year. I mean, just when you think that things couldn't get any stranger, almost every week something happens that has you scratching your head thinking, what planet am I living on? I'm sure historians are going to look back to this time at some point, and they will write volumes on the year 2020. But if there's one thing that I have learned during this year, is that the world and the church are becoming more and more divided. The distinction between the world and the church is becoming clearer and clearer. The world is steeped in fear. The world is descending in sickness and in fighting. And the world is getting more and more evil by the day. And the darker and darker the world gets, the more we shine as lights in the world. Like a city that's set on a hill and cannot be hidden. We don't fear what the world fears. We are not hateful and angry and divided like the world is. We have hope. We know where we're going and we have purpose in our faith. But the more we stand out, the more we are like that city that's set on a hill, the more we become a target. As that division grows between the world and the church, the more opportunities people have to reject us and cause us to suffer. So what I want to do this morning is introduce a short series of lessons. I'm going to preach two of them, and Lord willing, Alan Greeley, when he's here next week, is going to preach the third one. And we're going to look at a specific book in the Bible and some verses, some excerpts of this book that you could easily just pluck out of the first century right into the year 2020. And that's the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We'll do a little catch-up here just to uh, introduce where we're, where we're starting at in chapter 2. But Peter, as we all know, is, is an apostle. He refers to himself that way. And he's writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion. He's writing to believers who the Lord has chosen, who have left their homes, kind of reminiscent of Abraham, going out and being dispersed into the known world under Roman rule. These may have been Jews. These may also have been Gentiles who were impacted by believers going out and spreading the gospel during that great persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. He starts, though, here with the heart. He has a lot of practical, very useful, pertinent, relevant things to say with regard to our rejection and suffering and how we deal with that. But before he gets into the nitty-gritty details of, of what we are supposed to do and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, he starts with hope. And if you have nothing but you have hope, 
then you've got it all. Because he says we are to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Born again to a living hope. We know where we're going. We know what the future holds for those who trust in the Lord because we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a home, and we know that we want to be there more than we want to be here. We're exiles in this world. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We don't live here. We're just passing through. We sing the song. We know where we're headed, though. And so he talks about having hope and rejoicing in these trials, these, these various grievous trials that we could be tested and genuine in our faith. So we have hope. And then he says down in chapter 1, verse 13, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And at that point, he starts talking about being holy. So we need to have hope, and we need to be holy. In verse 2, he talked about the sprinkling of his blood, and that's a reference back if you'll remember, to the consecration of the temple. What did they do to the altars and to the priests? They sprinkled blood on them. And that was a sign that they were set apart for a special purpose. We're to have hope and we're to be holy. Set apart for God's use. He talks in chapter 2 about how we are living stones in God's building. You have a function in God's building. You have uh, a role to play in serving the Lord. And he calls us a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a holy people. We're priests. We worship the Lord. We set ourselves apart from the world and we teach the world about our God. That's who we are. That's what we do. And as he focuses on our heart and what's going on inside. Then, in chapter 2, he begins to get practical. And in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, sojourners, sojourners and exiles, that's what we were talking about, that you abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's where he starts. That's the, the starting place for what he's about to talk about. How do we deal with suffering? How do we deal with rejection? You keep your conduct honorable. So that when they say evil things about you, by your conduct, by your behavior, by your actions in this world, those accusations aren't going to stick. Those accusations are going to be unfounded because people will see who you really are. And so what he talks about here, and what we're going to focus on in this first lesson, is submitting ourselves. He uses three examples here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 and into chapter 3. He uses the example of citizens in relation to their government. 
of slaves in relation to their masters, and of wives in relation to their husbands. And oh, by the way, he does throw husbands in there too, so husbands don't get too comfortable. You're in there too. But he's talking about submission. And that seems a little strange to start with, doesn't it? How do we deal with suffering and rejection when the world hates us, when they put us through trials, when, when they persecute us? We submit. I don't think we're really comfortable with the idea of submission in America. It feels like rolling over and just letting people have their way. But isn't that exactly the characteristics that Jesus talked about when somebody slapped you on the cheek, you give them your other, other cheek? When someone takes something from you, give them more than they took? If they demand you to go one mile, go with them too? And so he's going to talk about submission as one of the things we need to be doing, conducting ourselves honorably in this world to really have the world have unfounded accusations against us. They'll have nothing to say against us. So let's begin here in verse 13, and we'll look at citizens submitting to their government. He says in verse 13 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What we see here in submitting to our government is that submission silences. Now, you'll be a good Bible student if you look here and you say, well, Brian, hold on. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, not submit to every human institution. But this Greek word, hypotosomai, is used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 by Paul in relation to wives submitting to their husbands. Being subject means to submit. It means to put ourselves under the rule and leadership of someone else to obey them and to honor them. And so, as we talk about submission, I think submission is a word that we use more frequently than subjection. So just to help you remember these things, we're talking about submission, we're talking about subjection. But in relation to our government, in relation to those who are in authority over us, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, whoever is in authority over you in the government, submit yourself. Submit yourself. And the reason why is because submission silences. You will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And notice here how he equates obeying our government with doing good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
we're not trying to overthrow our government. And if you have a president or a governor or a mayor or a leadership in your locality that you agree with, it's easy to listen to them. It's easy to obey, obey them. But what happens when another president is elected or another official or another governor is elected that you don't agree with? Will you still submit? Will you still subject yourself? Because you'll notice here that Peter is not talking about the specifics of leadership. He's really talking about the ideal. They punish those who do evil. They uphold those who do good. But hold on. I can find book, chapter, and verse about my current administration, some might say, about what the evil that they're doing and how they're, how they're defiling God's law and how they're not doing what they should. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because during the time in which Peter is writing, do you know who the emperor he's referring to is? He's referring to the emperor Nero. As he writes during this time, you'll remember how Nero lit Christians on fire and put them into coliseums surrounded by lions to eat them. And I'm sure it was very challenging for Peter's audience to read this and how we are to honor the emperor, knowing who the emperor was, and still focus on doing this. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter who is in power. Because the king of kings still reigns over all the earth. And he has called us to submit ourselves. Peter's not the only one who talks about this. Paul talks about this as well. And you'll remember people like Daniel and his friends. Back in the Old Testament, you'll remember when they were in Babylonian captivity. They submitted themselves. They subjected themselves to the, to the captive nation at the time. And sure, there were asterisks and caveats in which they were told to eat things that God had prohibited them from, and to worship in ways that they were prohibited from, and to pray in ways that they were prohibited from. They didn't obey when the laws of the land stood against God. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just revolt and picket and get out there and tell everybody all the things that they were doing wrong. No, they quietly did what God wanted them to do, and in every other case, they honored those who were in positions of authority. And they were uplifted for it. People, in a very real way, they looked at Daniel and his friends, and they were put to silence because they had nothing bad to say. They had nothing bad to say about them because they were honorable, they were respectful, yet they did stand against the government when they had to. I know we're all very focused on the upcoming election and all of the things going on. And you know, as, as you look at 24-hour cable news, I don't watch that stuff, but if you do, do you find yourself sympathizing with other people after you watch those programs? Do you find yourself connecting with people? 
Do you find yourself putting yourselves in other people's shoes after you watch those really polarized kinds of, kinds of programs? I don't. I find myself us versus them, and I find myself you know, thinking about the other side as evil and negative, and you know, we, we, we like to think that politics is so important. And Sean said it a couple weeks ago, and I'll just echo it again. It's important that we use our freedoms in this country to vote and to become part of making change in this country if we can. But let us always honor the emperor. Let us always honor the government. Let us always obey those who are in positions of authority over us because it will put to silence those who already have enough ammo to throw at us, by the way. There is already enough reasons for the world to hate us and for them to persecute us and cause us to suffer. Don't give them one more thing in this trivial political arena that we're in. You obey the governor. You obey the president. You obey the laws of the land, the police, and everyone else around you. And do that for the Lord's sake. Notice here in verse 16, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. How free were they really in Roman society? They weren't in a democracy. They didn't get to vote for the emperor. They didn't get to vote for those people who were in positions of authority yet. I think we have a lot more freedoms than they did. And with all of our freedoms, we need to take to heart very seriously our freedoms and not use these freedoms, freedoms of speech. You know, anybody can go on Facebook and lash out and tell the whole world how this political leader is dumb and how that political leader is ignorant and, and, and so forth and so on. Do not use your freedom, as great as it is in America, as a cover-up for evil. Honor everyone. And so maybe the question is, do you spend a lot of time really embroiled in politics? Is it something that just fills your mind and consumes your life? Maybe rethink your priorities. Peggy's shaking her head no. Good for Peggy. We do really need to focus on what's most important. Because the leadership in this country is not going to save people. The Lord God, through his son Jesus Christ, will save people. And that's the most important thing we need to be focused on. Okay, so let's move on. I'll get off my soapbox here. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sufferings while sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it? you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like straying sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
So here he turns his attention to slaves submitting to their masters. And what we see here is that submission may actually bring suffering. Which seems kind of strange, right? As Peter is writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion about how to deal with rejection and suffering, he's telling them to do something which may actually bring more suffering. You would think that Peter would say, run away from everything that will bring you suffering. Avoid everything that will bring you suffering. But that's not the case. He says, you as slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. If they're good to you, then that's great. But you submit to them even if they are evil and treating you poorly. You submit to them because that suffering that you might go through, well, you're in good company. Because he says that Jesus suffered. And this is a point that's very important as you read 1 Peter. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read 1 Peter, it's a real short read. But, but maybe this week, read through 1 Peter, and in every single chapter, you will find Peter referring to the sufferings of Christ. Every chapter. Because it's important. You are in good company when you suffer. Because our Lord suffered. Our Lord suffered. And he suffered and gave us an example of how to deal with suffering. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, which is God. He didn't lash back. And in our modern society, we don't have this relationships of slaves and masters anymore. And back in Roman society, this was not even so much like the 19th century slavery that we're familiar with in our country. This was more like indentured servitude. These slaves were tradespeople. They were skilled, and often, oftentimes they were paid for their work, for their service to their masters. But they didn't have a choice. They were forced to work. And I guess maybe the biggest analog here would be our relation to our bosses. As employees at work, how do you deal with a boss who treats you poorly? Do you do you use your opportunities to lambast them you know, around the, the water cooler or talk about how terrible they are or what kind, of a, what kind of poor choices that they're making and not listen to them, not give them your best? All while pointing to the evil things that they're doing. You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of boss you have. You submit yourself. You be a good employee. You do your best. You work as if you are working for the Lord. Trust in God. He'll care for you. He'll take care of you. And it doesn't matter who or, or what they're telling you to do. You do your best at it. You be, good, you be good employees in the roles in which you're serving. And again, you're in good company if you have to suffer because Jesus went through it all. I've worked for some pretty terrible bosses. And I've worked for people who were great and understanding. I've worked for people who pushed you to the breaking point to where you, I, I just, I had to sleep at work one night. <laughs> I mean, I never thought I would have to sleep at work, but I had to sleep at work one night because of a, a big deadline that was coming up and all the demands and stress that was going on there. 
but I did my best. And that's what we need to do. We need to keep focused on doing our best, even though it might cause us suffering. And so think about that as you, as you think about what we do, how we conduct ourselves in this world. We're good citizens. We're good employees. And then he goes on to talk about wives in chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So he's talking to wives now, and husbands, but he's talking to wives submitting to their husbands. And the third thing that we learn is that submission shows. I mentioned it earlier, but submission sometimes feels like you're just rolling over and letting everyone plow over you, that you're just quietly letting everything kind of attack you and not ever responding, not ever you know, doing the things that you naturally want to do. You naturally don't want to submit. But submission shows. And imagine being a wife in Roman culture at this time. The husband really was the head of the house. And the husband, if the husband believed in false gods and the, the husband wanted to worship in certain ways, but the wife was a believer... Imagine what the wife is trying to do. Imagine what she is having to deal with. She's having to, to balance following the Lord with what her husband wants her to do, which is to worship other gods. And imagine the challenge that that, that would bring in a home. And so Peter says, be subject to him. Submit yourself to him. Have a gentle and quiet spirit with pure and respectful conduct, when they see that gentle, respectful, pure conduct, it may win them over. It's going to show. Even without a word, the wife doesn't need necessarily to talk about the, the steps to salvation and the, and the resurrection of Jesus and all of these things. Just by her pure conduct, the husband might be won over. This verse... And I know a lot of times we go to this verse and we talk, some people talk about how, you know, women shouldn't braid their hair or wear gold jewelry or, wait, wear clothes? Oh, yeah, that's in there too. <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about. He's not, he's not referring to these specific outward things as being bad or negative. What he's saying is what's really important is the heart. What's really important is your conduct. What's really important is what's going on inside. And I think this is an object lesson of what Jesus talked about with the Pharisees. They're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. 
They're clean cups with filthy insides. And he rebuked them for that kind of external adornment with internal disease and sin. And what Peter is doing here is highlighting the exact same thing. You know what? It does not matter. I know ladies, uh, guys too, we like to, we like to primp. We like to, to buff and wax and I, you know all the things that pluck. And, and you know what you do. You know how much time you spend in front of the mirror. We like to do that. And we like to put on an outward show. But an outward show is nothing if what's going on on the inside is missing. And so, wives, as you submit to your husbands, it shows that gentleness, that quietness, that respect. And you know what? Notice the first word in chapter 3. Likewise. Likewise. As he gets to his third point here, he points back to all the other points. So, husbands, if you think this is just referring to wives, let me... Let me also say likewise. Use this gentle and quiet spirit, the fact that your submission shows, and think about that in the context of a citizen and their government. Think about that in the context of your employer as, as an employee. Submission shows, and people will see your respectful conduct, and they will have nothing bad to say, and they will, hopefully, be convinced. And, and be curious about that. And as he's going to go on later on in chapter 3 to say, they may very well ask you about the hope that's within you, so be ready to answer. Be ready with a, with a, with a response about why you believe and why you trust in the Lord. Submission silences. Submission is something that may bring us suffering, and submission shows. And husbands, you thought I was going to let you off the hook here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. If you're a believing husband, it makes your wife's submission so much easier. It does. And if you treat your wife, as Paul would talk about in Ephesians 5, verse 25, if you treat your wife the way that Jesus Christ treats the church, then you're doing a good job. Live with her in an understanding way. Honor her as the weaker vessel so that your prayers may not be hindered. She's an heir to grace with you. She's a partner. She's a, she's a sister in Christ to you. And consider that with the way that you treat her. So in all these relationships, though, in all of these opportunities, we see that our response to rejection and suffering in the world is very countercultural. We might want to pick it. We might want to blast out on social media. We might want to attack those who attack us. Do not do that. No matter whether it's your government, or your boss, or your spouse. Honor everyone. And submit yourself to them. Because it shows, because it will silence them, and because it will bring you suffering, which will help test you and refine you, as Peter talks about. So we're going to contrast this lesson and the second lesson with something very different. But this first point that Peter makes here, I think is something we can all do something with, especially in the year 2020, especially in this election cycle, especially with all the division and all of the rejection that we may be facing today. 
Please take out your songbooks and turn to the number that's been announced. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, if you need to come to him in faith, if you're giving yourself to him and being baptized, then we'll help you do that. Whatever your spiritual needs might be, please come forward as we stand and sing.